Hi, I'm Scott. Welcome to the Synthetic Dreams podcast. From well-known pioneers to exciting new artists. On this show, I interview musicians from the world of electronic music and beyond. Hello, my guest this week is a member of one of the greatest bands this country has ever produced, Blur, who recently announced a comeback tour and they will be playing some huge shows all across Europe, as well as a few festival appearances in 2023. He's been a counsellor, an animation programmer. He's also been a composer and has composed soundtracks for BBC series The Capture, as well as the popular science fiction series The One, which is on Netflix. He's due to release his very first solo record, Radio Songs, via Cooking Vinyl in January next year. So my guest this week is the very talented musician, Mr. Dave Roundtree. So I'm really delighted to have Dave Roundtree on the podcast today. Um, and you must be really excited about your debut album, Radio Songs, which comes out January the 20th, I believe. That's right, yeah. Must no, I am very excited about it, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, yes, yeah, I've released a handful of singles from it now. It all seem to have gone down very well. And, uh, yeah, it's one of those things that's a risk, isn't it? Especially, uh, you know, to leave it. 30 years and then release my debut solo album that's <laughs> I might argue that's more of a risk so, oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> but yeah it all seems to be going very well so far fingers crossed i mean the yeah i mean the reaction to i mean it's, i think it's the is it the fourth um track that you've released and but what i've read has been really good you know feedback from it all which must be quite nice to be getting that kind of positive feedback yes yeah, it is, and there's no guarantees with any of that, is there? So, uh, you know, it's all, it all seems to be set up very well. I can't wait to actually release the album. Um, I want to do a lot of touring next year. Obviously, there's some extra touring that I uh, wasn't anticipating. It might slightly stymie those plans. But uh, anyway, that's uh, part of it. Part of the reason for doing this is so I could go on tour without having to wait for other people to decide uh, that they're ready to go on tour too, so... Yes, some control. So, talking about the recording process, um, I mean, when when did you, when did you start it? I mean, was it did you start it way back when we were having those lockdowns, or was it after that kind of thing? When when did you start work on the album? The recording process was during the second lockdown. Um, when we came out of the first lockdown, um, Leo Abrams, the producer, and I have been wanting to work together for a while, and and we had a vague plan to do it. Um, you know, which were the vague plan was uh, was put penciled in the diary at exactly exactly when the second lockdown happened. And everyone was returned back to their houses, so uh, we uh, we thought, well, I'll tell you what, we could at least do some preparatory work. You know, we both have recording studios at our houses. We thought well, we can at least do some preparatory work in our separate studios. And then when this lockdown is finally over, we can get back together and, and start the recording process. Yeah. And uh, two months later, the record was finished. So uh, the preparatory work turned out not to be necessary. It turned out to be perfectly possible to yeah. to work remotely. Obviously, not it's 
it's not the same as working together, but in a way it was more efficient because the songs were a fairly advanced process anyway. It was it was a matter of dividing up tasks in the morning and then, you know, working throughout the day in our studios and then getting back together again only for Zoom in the evening and kind of comparing notes, making plan for the following day. So it all worked out very well. And, you know, I think we actually got it done quite a bit quicker than had we been in the same room and we would have had to do one thing at a time. I'm not sure I'd make an album like that again. There are definite downsides to not being in the same room. You know, you don't get that kind of excitement when you start to bounce ideas off each other and that kind yeah, of thing. Way of recording. Yeah. So, think of some of so the vocalist on the track is it tape measure? Is she, is it called yeah. Julia? Sorry, from yeah. yes. So, how where, where is she from? Where did you kind of meet meet her? And the, I mean, it's a great vocal. Yeah, she's the co-writer of the song. I wrote that song with her, met her in London. Um, she's got her own thing going on, though, so she didn't want to be sort of actively involved with promoting the track or be in the video or anything like that. So, No, she's great. She's absolutely great. She's got a lovely voice and, uh, you know, that kind of uh, that idea for the, the kind of melody in the chorus being is that, that sort of weird sample sound. That was her idea. So that really made the track really such a great track. Yeah, thank you. Funny enough, because we're just thinking about radio songs, and and I always wonder when did your kind of love affair with radio start? Was it from an early age? Yeah, I mean, it, it's taught it's talking about radio in the broader sense rather than just listening to music on the radio. Um, that started really. In the ones in the one in one way it started when I was very young. When I was a kid growing up, I had a, a radio by my bedside, and uh, I would lie awake at night. It had long wave and medium wave on it as well as FM, and I would lie awake at night, kind of spinning the dial and tuning in all these weird exotic stations from around the world, you know, in different languages with different kinds of music, and just kind of dreaming about it all. So, in in the one sense, it's that the kind of escapism that I got from radio. In another sense, it's to do with my family situation. I come from a not particularly uh, happy family situation, as many people do. But uh, one constant in it was uh, was uh, my dad was a, ra- an, a, an a radio engineer in the in the air force when he was a young man, and uh, that that gave him a love of electronics that sustained him throughout his life. And he and I bonded over that. We would sit around the kitchen table, rather some fathers take their sons to football, but he and I sat around the kitchen table over a hot soldering iron and built radios together and then connected them to a big long antenna we had running down the length of the garden. Again, we sort of tune in all these stations from around the world. And there's nothing as satisfying really as something like that with a kind of real tangible result, making something like that yourself and then plugging it in and hoping it works and, you know, debugging it if it doesn't. So he he passed that on to me, a love of electronics. Yeah. So I, my early music career involved, you know, I had no money when I was in my early teens. I used to build all my music gear. So I built my first synthesizer in the 80s. and Really? It. Yeah. Wow. Um, and... I've done that I've all, all the way through my life. I've done that. A lot of my modular gear I built myself. and yeah. you know. um, So that's that's kind of a big part of the creation of the record, really, is that kind of maker ethos, really, and, you know, seeing 
and the radio you know i i used this radio is a bit almost for me an almost endlessly interesting thing but uh what goes on in between the stations is just as interesting yeah i think there's some very weird noises in between the stations so i i recorded a lot of that at the start of the recording process and that to some extent was the foundation for 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 a number of the songs originally i was going to do it quite literally you know and have the have static in between the songs you know and have it sort of literally pop in like it does when it tune the dar but that proved to be too difficult to do during lockdown yeah. <laughs> so i was about to say that idea for another day maybe yeah. the remix album can be like that but yeah there's something really you need to be sitting in the same room as somebody to do it's kind of uh, that proved to be beyond the limits of what was achievable at the time unfortunately yeah. me trying to explain that to the mix engineer like, no 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 what i want is yeah. you know I, I want the static i want the static but then i want the song to kind of start you know how you know <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, can't, it can't be as easy as it sounds actually no, uh, to make yeah. it sound convincing, you could do it badly. Just bump some white noise down and then start yeah. the song. But, but I love uh, the meaning behind the album, the double meaning. It's the radio, as in this is the radio, and then the kind yeah. of electronic side of everything. And some, yeah. you know, and the whole concept of it, I love. Um, obviously, yeah. one of my my favorite albums is Radioactivity by Craftwork. That's a similar oh, yeah. thing. It's two meanings: it's the radio active yeah. stuff, and it's got the radio activity, and that that also has little noises in it when they're turning the dial and so yeah i love i, I mean yeah. i'm a fan of the radio as well and i've got old radios with me in here and um yeah me too yeah, yeah. and funny yeah. enough that's where i heard um i think it's the first track was it london bridge the bridge yeah actually in the car and it's a similar thing i didn't know who it was it possibly steve lamack sounds like he i'm sure he played it first but Yes, you did. And I was thinking, what is this? I really love it. And the and the and the lyrics and the, the singing. I thought, this is brilliant. And then he said afterwards, stay around tree. I was like, oh wow. So that was <laughs> so actually I heard it from the radio. And if I hadn't had that on in the car, and a lot of stuff I've discovered from Six Music just by listening to like Mark Riley and shows like yeah. So it's important, you know, to people listen to the radio if they can, because you can find you hear some amazing stuff that I would never have, you know, checked out. Um, yes yeah it's a very different thing i mean you know the streaming and algorithms and kind of automatically generated playlists are all well and good but having somebody whose musical taste you trust pick songs for you to listen to is a very different beast i think you know provided they're good at it which you know obviously people like Stephen mack are very good at it um you can guarantee it's worth listening to whereas a kind of computer generated playlist but i mean you may struggle if you're if you're listening to music because you love music rather than you just want some similar sounding tracks on in the background because you're doing your homework you know if you're listening because you love music a kind of computer generated list of songs is all right i mean it tends to suggest things you already know you know if you put Radiohead, you'll get Blur. If you put Blur, you'll get Oasis. You know, it's like, well, I, I know that. I know. They're very you know, different. More. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, get that. So, uh, yeah, I did, I still love radio. Radio done well is still is still my favourite way to find new music. Because I, I think, and I don't know why, there are people surprised, but there probably are some people surprised that, you know, how much you love electronic music. But then when you think about even 
blur. I mean, I remember, um, I actually do remember buying Park Life the first day it came out. 94, I think. And yeah. then read the, back, read the back of it. And then I was thinking, oh, my God, there's like Moog synthesizers on there. They've used string synthesizers. And I think even possibly the producer, Stephen Street, was listed as vintage keys. I thought there's a lot, you know, Blur have always had a slight, you know, danceability to them. And then, you know, um, so that's yeah. why it was never a surprise to me when I heard that you were making a more of an electronic-led album because yes. Blur have always had elements of that in it. Going way back. Yes. No, that's true. I mean, me personally, that's that's been my kind of kind of bubbling uh, passion, really, behind the scenes. But I don't tend, I don't get to express that in Blur. I'm the drummer in Blur, but I don't really see myself as a a drummer. That's not what I do. I'm a musician, really. You know, and I my, I come from a I come from the classical world. I was going to be a classical percussionist. That's what I was trained to be. Oh, wow. And uh, you know, both my parents are classical musicians, so that was the that was the path I was going to follow. So I, that's a you know that's a world I'm very comfortable in as well. I also have a real love of brass band music. I played in the brass band for a long, long time. And there's something about both with string ensembles and brass bands and choirs. There's something about having lots of very similar. Ge- instruments generating sounds in very similar ways together yeah. they tend to they tend to complement one each other one another very nicely and kind of build something more than the sum of its parts as opposed to you know ensembles with lots of different kinds of instruments there's something a bit more subtractive about that so you know an electronic music is the 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 best example of that i think especially kind of you know more traditional let's call them analog synths, but we all know that that covers all the multitude of sins these days, but you know, that kind of stuff, that kind of uh, way of shaping tones. Again, when you make music out of those kind of instruments, again, you get it, you get a bigger sound way beyond the, the content you've added in because of the, because of all the harmonics and the way they all interact with one another. Yeah, that's uh, that. Th- those kind of things have always been very important to me, really. Well, so the drums was that your first instrument, or you said it sounds like you've been on various instruments before then? Yeah, it wasn't my first instrument. My my parents insisted that I play the piano. So as as as, as old until I was uh, from when I was able to sit upright on the piano stool, I had to have piano lessons, and I, of course, as a kid, I hated being told to do anything so you know I hated the piano with a passion and uh, so I thought after a few years of that I thought I know what I'll do if I can if because if I can get this you have to have piano lessons rule changed to you have to have instrument lessons then I could pick the most annoying instrument known to man and uh, they will be so uh, horrified by it that they will give up this music thing and then I can go out and play football like I wanted to do, you see. So my first instrument, obviously the most annoying instrument known to man is bagpipes. So that was my first instrument after the piano. Really? Yeah. I was about (laughs) nine nine years old, I think maybe 10 years old. And, uh, but you can't, you, unfortunately... 
the bagpipes is a, an instrument for fully grown adults. It's not an instrument for a weedy little kid. It's a kind of fighting, shagging instrument where, you know, yeah. you expect to be able to, you know, you need an adult set of lungs and an adult kind of physicality. It's a very, very physical instrument to play. So that was a non-starter. So then I thought, well, what's the second most annoying instrument to man? The drums, obviously. So, but uh, the minute I started playing the drums, my my view of, I got utterly obsessed by it right from day one. The first drumming lesson I had, um, I uh, I just completely got obsessed by it. And from then on, my football career, sadly for uh, West Ham, my football career came to an end on that day. And uh, they don't know what they missed, but uh, there we are. <laughs> the... Uh, yeah, and then every whenever I wasn't doing anything else, I was I was uh, I was drumming in one shape or another. When was so, uh, when was your first band? What age were you, and what what was the name of your first band, if you can remember? Well, no, I don't know, but uh, yeah, because I, I started off, I started off I my because of my abiding passion for playing the drums, my. My parents, in order to get rid of me at weekends, sent me to music school at the weekends. So I'd be playing, went to normal school Monday to Friday and then music school at the weekends. And so really the first few years of drumming was all kind of wind bands and orchestras. And I played some jazz after, you know, kind of uh, music that uh, music schools uh, approved of rather than pop music. And so that was the route I was going to go. I thought if I could get a job in an orchestra and then play jazz on the side, I could be truly happy. Wow. And uh, but then, yes, I discovered pop music and girls and all of that. Yeah. And uh, my classical music career died, <laughs> died a death for want of uh, any interest from me from that day onwards. And uh, yeah, yeah then I just played in bands. I mean, I. That's probably the case with most kids. I just kind of fell in with the musical crowd at school, so there weren't really any bands as such, as as, yeah. as much as, you know, every night we'd go round to one of our houses, instruments in hand, and we'd play until we were thrown out, you know. And we did, did do some little gigs at the school and things like that, but, uh, you know, wasn't really until I was quite a bit older than you know that I started trying to do it seriously. Yeah. Would that be um, what the oh blur? Was would you originally called Seymour? If I, I'm trying to remember from. I had a hundred a hundred names before it was blur. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's not saying like that. yeah. Yeah. So uh, one of them was Seymour. The beads we were called. What hundreds of names? Like they were useless names. Yeah. But. Uh, yeah, when we were signed, we were known as Seymour that week, and uh, the record company said, as part of our part of our signing induction, they said, "By the way, you're going to have to change that name. It's rubbish." So uh, we came up with the list, and they came up with the list, and Blur was on both lists. So it was the at that time the fashion was to have very short names. There yeah. was Lust, there was Rise, there was lots of other bands with kind of one syllable names. Yeah. And and what sort what sort of albums were you listening to at the time? What kind of influences were being fed into your your music personally for yourself? Mm. I was listening to absolutely everything. You know, I was I was absolutely gobbling it up. What yeah. 
I was just obsessively interested in what everybody else was doing. So it's not like I was there was a sort of genre I was interested in or anything, you know. Everything. I wanted to hear all the music that was being released by everybody all of the time, you know. Yeah. I was I like that. that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm still like that, you know. That I had a I got a a radio show on XFM for a few years. I remember and, that. Yeah. And I, I loved it. And it gave me an excuse to listen to every new track by every band every week. And it was just fantastic. You know, I just loved it. You enjoy being a radio DJ. Yeah, it was great fun. And yeah, to, it, it kind of, to some extent, I was starting, I hadn't got there yet, but you know, there's this sort of middle-aged thing that some people do for because they're not discovering new music, they start to assume that the music in their day was better and now music is a bit crap. And uh, I was just starting to go down that road. Yeah. You know, I didn't actually get all the way there, but then <laughs> I got the job at XFM and uh, just totally blew my mind and you know, convinced me that the, the very best music that's ever been made is being made right now. And I, I believe that to be true. I think that's probably always true. Everyone's in the name of the, in the, in the words of the Oasis album, everyone's building on the shoulders of giants, aren't they? Yeah, that's very true. I mean, yeah. I, I used to love XFM. I mean, I quite miss it actually. I think I went yeah. to the, that, the concert for uh, Finsbury Park where they were trying to get a, a license. So, I've liked it from the start. I remember them going to Finsbury Park, and I think even uh, Damon and Graham Cox were played acoustic song actually. I think for tomorrow. So I remember seeing that very early on, and uh, yeah, uh, no, I, I really miss that radio station. No, me too. Well, it was Steve Lamack drove that, didn't he? That's one of the many, one of the many brilliant things that Steve Lamack's done for yeah in music. It's, it was kind of his baby, really. So uh, yeah, I, I remember that too. Damon Graham playing, and yeah, and then yeah. So the problem for XFM is it wasn't making any money, was it? So that was uh, that was always their big problem. So when it got acquired by Global, they had a bit a bit of a issue. It's like, well, are we going to have this kind of loss making thing going on forever? Everybody likes it, but uh, yeah. nobody advertises on it, or are we going to transform it into something? So. You know, he is it's much more sort of playlist oriented now and and uh they still play new music but you know mine was a new music show they they sacked off all the new music shows apart from john kennedy's so what are you gonna do have you done any other like radio stuff or any other stations or have you thought about maybe doing that again at some point or maybe the show yeah no i'd like to do it trouble is it takes all your spare time doing that kind of two hour show sort of you know i didn't want to just go that was bloody blah now this is blah 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 and you know text in and tell what you're doing tonight i wanted to do i wanted it all to mean something you know find out the story behind the tracks and you know who the bands were and and uh, play silly games and kind of you know say yeah. something it means something, you know, and if you want to do that, it take you can't just turn up and do the show. You need you really need a team of researchers behind you. If you haven't got one, you do it all yourself. So uh, it took it took all week really to do each show, all my spare time, all week. 
And I was working as a lawyer at that point as well, so I didn't have that much spare time to start with. You cram a lot in, haven't you? <laughs> yeah, crammed a lot in. Yeah. Lines, tell the story. <laughs> no, you're, you're looking very good on it. So this is some secret somewhere. Yeah, Painting this in light, your attic. This light is the secret. <laughs> good lighting, yeah. So uh, going back to now with the, the release of the new album, uh, yep. obviously you've got these big shows with Blur that are coming up, so I know that makes things tricky with your own. But are you planning to do some solo shows to promote radio songs, or are you going to see how that goes in the new year? Yeah, I've done. I did uh, a, a few sh- low-key shows uh, last month, ending up at the Amira in London. I did a couple of... Uh, uh, shows outside London as well, just to see how it would all work. And it actually all worked very well. So I've got a show at uh, Rough Trade East on on album launch day. And uh, yeah, then I'm I'm going to do as much touring over the next year or so as I possibly can. It's yeah, it's slightly stymied by the fact that Blur is now doing um, uh, now doing some shows as well. So and Dublin now to, was it Dublin today or announced? I mean, yeah, announced. Yeah. yeah, a couple of days ago, I think it was announced. I mean, fa- I mean, fantastic. That I mean, I know Blur have always played big venues. Um, I mean, I saw you at Alexandra Palace. I think that was nineteen oh, yeah. for the Heart Life tour. So you've always, yeah. I mean, I've always always seen you in. I mean, but um, to sell out Wembley Stadium that for a, that must be a, a childhood dream. If to say I'm I'm going to play Wembley Stadium, amazing. Yeah, it's not something you even ever dreamed of, really. It just seemed ludicrous. And, uh, you know, when we were offered it, we thought, actually, that was quite a risk. Because imagine if we hadn't sold it out, you know, we'd imagine if if we'd put it on sale, we'd have sold 500 tickets and had to cancel it. I mean, that would have been, you know, there's kind of egg on your face and there's having to cancel your Wembley show egg on your face, isn't there? So it's kind of, we thought that was quite a risk. And... uh, you know, the stars didn't seem aligned. There are all kinds of obstacles that meant, even up to a couple of weeks before it was announced, I thought it was actually unlikely it was going to happen. Yeah. But uh, then all this, you know, as sometimes happens, suddenly we felt like we were pushing on open doors rather than closed doors and all the stars kind of aligned. Yeah. And uh, it came together and it, you know, we announced it on the Monday, put it on sale on the Friday and... and uh, it sold out within a few minutes. Yeah. So we put another show on on sale, which uh, quite lucky the next day was free, really, because it hadn't been free. It was one of, the, one of the problems was to do with what was going to happen on the next day. But uh, anyway. I mean, a great and great supported lineup as well, and all quite yeah. different and not, you know, not what yeah. you think. So that's good. No, well, we, we wanted it to be, you know, it's very, very hard for new bands at the moment. Very hard, yeah. you know. The, the the perfect storm of Brexit and and uh, you know the cost of living and uh, all of that kind of stuff that's you know affecting everybody at the moment is affecting the arts in general incredibly badly because many people see the art. I don't see it this way, but many people see the arts as a luxury rather than an essential. For me, it's an essential. I, I appreciate that's not true for everybody. So, uh, and it's luxuries that tend to go when people are wo- worried about their 
future. Potential future, obviously. So uh, the arts are in general are suffering, and I know new, new up and coming bands, even relatively established bands, are having to cancel tours left, right, and centre. So we thought well, this would be a chance to give to give some exposure to some brand new artists and, you know, a platform to some more, more established artists to help them on their way. People did this kind of thing for us when we first started, you know, yeah. so it's important to do that. So that certainly day one, we've got that kind of a bill, three, you know, really great acts. We've got to, uh, the rather embarrassingly named Jockstrap, who were uh, um, yeah. really, really good, really exciting, brand new and uh, but I've got some fantastic ideas, and uh, yes. Anyway, two other, two other. We can go on and on about them, but uh, yeah, that was the kind of bill we wanted. So, uh, and that's the kind of bill we got. As to what we're going to do on the second night, we haven't quite decided yet. It's like that. The, the idea. <laughs> you should support. <laughs> you should be on support Blur. Imagine that. Yeah, I never that could play at Wembley twice. The three well, times probably, you might outstage them, and then um, that might be embarrassing. Everyone walks off after you. I, I know that's the risk, isn't it? That's the risk is that people come and see Dave Roundtree and then go home while Blur on. That's the yeah. risk. We've seen Dave now, we don't need the rest. <laughs> I'm interested to know has have the other members of Blur heard the new album? At yes, I, sh- I, I played to everybody, and uh, Damon actually was very helpful. He sent me back. Uh, before I, before it was mixed, he sent me back a long list of uh, points to consider. So that was that was very very nice of him to do that. And uh, good friend, yeah, yeah. So he actually it was very valuable what he said. So and yeah, Damon, um, Alex, and Graham have both been very supportive. I mean, we we're kind of like that with each other's projects. Really, we all, we all tr- sort of turn out and try and yeah help when we can, help each other when we can, like that. So I I mean I know. I'll probably wrapping things up. I know we're in November now, so um, but obviously, you know, you're probably going to be winding now now for Christmas, hopefully, and getting ready for the album release on 20th of January. All exciting. Yeah, well, there's uh, there's a lot to do. I mean, the 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 Wembley show is in June, July rather. So there's a lot to do around that, uh, and. Yeah, there's a lot of, uh, I'm very happy to say a lot of people are keen to talk to me about my album. And so, uh, yeah, I'm actually things seem to be accelerating towards Christmas rather than winding down. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. I can't no, wait to hear it. Yeah. Well, it's, it's uh, I can't believe you haven't heard it. They didn't send it to you. No, no. Oh, I've, I've loved every, I've, I've got the EP and I've, I've listen to every track i mean i'm going to be buying the vinyl 20th of january anyway um i love the cover by the way i know quite simplistic with the radio but i just think that's a cool cover imagine that's good on a (laughs) t-shirt just the radio and so i love all that it's fantastic yeah well there's a really great uh graphic artist in who i came across on twitter bizarrely and she she was she did a a series of uh sort of 70s retro uh uh graphic art just kind of pick it, picking out individual items and uh, kind of drawing them in this sort of retro but sort of really loving way and i thought well that's exactly right that's exactly what i'm saying with this you know that's that's what i mean by radio songs is that yeah. kind of you know 
looking back over my life and seeing the various ways that the radio has shaped my life which it has in many ways yeah. and uh, so I got in touch with her and she was thrilled and now she's doing really well now she's just uh she got commissioned to do the um uh the official merchandise for now what's that puppet sci-fi series his name I can never remember from the 60s Thunderbirds Birds, the Thunderbirds official merchandise yes that's a good gig. Oh, that is a great gig. There's a yeah. lot of fans out there. <laughs> Fantastic. Oh, well, yeah, I'm, so I'm, she's doing really well. So I'm really happy for her. Oh, I'm, I'm so glad uh, to speak to you today. And so thanks for taking some time out. So I look Pleasure. forward to the album on the 20th of January via Cooking Vinyl. Is it Cooking Vinyl? Cooking yeah. Vinyl, that's it. Yeah. Great label. So that's all brilliant. So thanks for taking the time out today. And the best of luck with the debut album, which I can't wait to get a copy of. Cheers. Good to speak to you. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Bye.